In this episode of The Briefing... We're going deep on Scott Morrison's secret portfolios. Revelations. He held five secret portfolios. From March 2020, Morrison took on the health and finance portfolios. One year later, he was sworn into the Home Affairs, Treasury and Resources Ministry. Senior Cabinet colleagues say they were unaware of Mr Morrison's actions. In this episode, we go back to the start of this story and speak to the author of the book that started the whole saga, a book about the pandemic called Plagued. What surprises me is that the the Nats didn't go bunter about it at the time Mm. because clearly Keith Pitt knew in retrospect and others knew, uh, Barnaby Joyce said he knew, but they kept pretty quiet on it. So that's the author of the book and political reporter Simon Benson. And as you're going to find out, He actually admits that he knew about two of the secret portfolios well before the election. So that is our briefing. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Rihanna Patrick. First, here are today's headlines. It's Thursday, the 18th of August. The Governor-General has weighed into the Scott Morrison secret portfolio scandal again. A spokesperson for the GG, David Hurley, said he had no reason to believe that appointments would not be communicated. That is, didn't expect the portfolio appointments to remain a secret. Yeah, so that statement came out after Scott Morrison's hour-long press conference yesterday, and that press conference was very hard to watch. I watched the whole thing. It was full of inconsistencies, deflections, and no admission of wrongdoing apart from the, quote, offence that was caused to his colleagues. Now, as to an explanation on why he kept the appointment secret, this was as close as he came. I was concerned that these issues could have been misconstrued and misunderstood and undermined the confidence of ministers. He also says he won't be resigning from Parliament and here's the current Prime Minister's response. Scott Morrison was evasive, he was defensive, he was passive-aggressive. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair summary from Anthony Albanese. It was a a stark reminder why Scott Morrison led the Liberal Party to such a massive election loss and why the independents who campaigned on integrity did so well at the election. Now, the argument about this happening at the height of the pandemic was completely flawed because only two of the five appointments happened in March 2020. The others were during times of very low cases. The argument that the criticism from the media and opposition that he be held accountable for the government's performance somehow meant that he had to literally administer all these portfolios goes against over 100 years of cabinet and leadership conventions. Um, And also the excuse why he didn't tell his colleagues, saying that it would be misunderstood and misconstrued by experienced cabinet members like Josh Frydenberg, Matthias Cormann, Christian Porter. I imagine that would be quite offensive to them. Did you bother watching the whole thing, Rihanna? No, I didn't. I just watched the highlights. And I mean, let's be honest, that apology really stopped short of apologising for the secrecy or the decisions. So uh, he really only apologised to his colleagues. Yeah. Strange one. 215 major polluting companies and facilities could either have to cut emissions or buy carbon credits in a government plan set to be released today. Yeah, the Labor government is beginning this process of reforming the safeguard mechanisms, which were first introduced by Tony Abbott, to determine the baseline at which those big polluters will have to start buying carbon credits. So this means coal mines, gas production sites, aluminium smelters, steel plants, manufacturing sites and airlines could be affected by these potential changes. Yeah, so they're proposing annual emissions cuts of between 3.5 and 6% as a pathway to meet the 43% 2030 target 
and the 2050 net zero target. So major businesses and industry groups have broadly been supportive of the proposed changes, but they've been waiting to see how it's all going to work and they're going to get more detail in the paper being released by the government today. One of Donald Trump's few Republican detractors has lost her seat in Congress. Uh, Liz Cheney has conceded defeat to Trump-endorsed Harriet Hageman in Wyoming. Two years ago, I won this primary with 73% of the vote. I could easily have done the same again, but it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. That was a path I could not and would not take. Yeah, so this has been an eagerly anticipated election because uh, Cheney has been a really strong voice here. She's the vice chair of the January 6th House Select Committee that's investigating Trump's role in storming the US Capitol. A lot of people have been waiting to see what kind of repercussions she'd face for standing up to Donald Trump. And clearly, in Wyoming, uh, the people are are voting more in favour of the Trump narrative. Um, Cheney hasn't ruled out running for president in 2024, and she says she'll do whatever it takes to keep Trump out of office. Yeah, and while it's unlikely she would win, she could peel some of those crucial votes away from Trump. And the Japanese government wants young people to drink more alcohol. It's launched a nationwide competition calling for ideas to encourage 20 to 39-year-olds to drink more because there's been a slide in tax revenue. Yeah, and lifestyle changes have seen a steep decline in alcohol consumption, falling from an average of about 100 litres a person a year in 1995 to 75 litres in 2020. So taxes on alcohol accounted for only 1.7% of Japan's tax revenue in 2020, down from 3% around 10 years ago. And what was a really high number, 5% of tax revenue in 1980. (laughs) So they want some of that tax back. The health ministry is hoping the campaign will still remind people to drink the appropriate amount of alcohol. That is crazy, isn't it? It is, but I love that the fact that the campaign is called Sake Viva or Enjoy Sake um, and that they're just encouraging young people to drink. (laughs) All right, in a moment we're talking to Simon Benson who wrote the book Plagued, which has, um, since it came out, really plagued Scott Morrison. It's what every author hopes for, that their book is talked about. Well, speaking from experience, you you want them to talk about it and then ideally buy it as well. Yes, so true. But what started out as only a small mention in a book about the Morrison government's response to the pandemic has got the whole nation talking. Yeah, so the book is called Plagued and it detailed for the first time the secret plan which saw the former Prime Minister Scott Morrison swear himself into the health and finance ministries in March 2020 as the pandemic was sweeping across the world and filling up morgues in Italy. So in Chapter 7, the book explains that invoking the Biosecurity Act was going to give the Health Minister, Greg Hunt, a huge amount of power. So, Rihanna, do you want to give us a little reading from Chapter 7? Sure. Morrison then hatched a radical and until now secret plan with Porter's approval. He would swear himself in as Health Minister alongside Hunt. Such a move was without precedent, let alone being done in secret. Then further down... It goes on to say, Morrison also swore himself in as finance minister alongside Matthias Cormann. He wanted to ensure there were two people who had their hands on the purse strings. So those are the paragraphs that have sparked the controversy. As you could hear there, that was just about those two portfolios. But since that information was printed in the newspaper 
on Saturday ahead of the book's release. It was then revealed by other journos that he'd done it in another portfolio and then it came out from Anthony Albanese that there were two others on top of that, so five in total. So finance and health in March 2020, then industry, science, energy and resources in April 2021 and then home affairs and treasury in May 2021. And that's when the spark from the book became a political bonfire. Now, Simon Benson co-authored the book with fellow News Corp journo Jeff Chambers. Simon, thanks for joining us. Did you expect that Chapter 7 in your book would create this much controversy? No, I didn't, to be honest. And I think just to put it in context and just to remind your readers that what was revealed in the book um, to the extent of those uh, ministerial portfolios that, that Scott Morrison swore himself into, at the time, the book contains discussion about the health portfolio and finance portfolios at the time in March 2020. And in the context of everything that was happening at the time, I mean, it was a pretty extraordinary time. And I think Scott Morrison would argue that extraordinary times called for extraordinary measures. And it was in relation to the triggering of the Biosecurity Act, which had never been used before and which handed Greg Hunt, the health minister, these extraordinary powers that effectively handed control of the country to, to the health minister. And I don't think anyone would see that there was anything extraordinary about the Prime Minister wanting to share those powers just beyond the health minister. What's uh, subsequently been revealed in the last few days about other portfolios, well, that's a different matter. And I suppose that's what's um, got people uh, a little bit excited. <laughs> Simon, there's um, a lot of new information and quotes from Scott Morrison in the book. And I mean, mm. was it Morrison who told you about that plan to swear himself in as health mm. and finance minister? Look, we conducted dozens of interviews over a sort of two-year period. I won't go into who told me what exactly, but, I th- you know, if you, when you read the book, obviously, uh, the former Prime Minister was um, pretty candid about what was going on at the time and the purpose of the book was to really get people inside the machinery of government to see how these people, how our elected representatives and, and the bureaucracy were dealing with things on a daily basis and even an hourly basis. So in that sense, there's not a lot of hindsight analysis of did they do things wrong, did they do things right. I think people can draw their own judgments from that uh, reading the book, but that was really the purpose of the book. When we first started it, we assumed, I think like everybody, that this thing would probably only run a year and then it just kept going and going and going. So the book sort of became a rolling project, if you like, starting from February in 2020 when the pandemic first struck and drawing a line under it probably at the end of last year. Right. There's been a little bit of criticism of you and your co-author that I guess accusing you of sitting on this information about the Mm. secret Mm. ministries. Um, Mm. So when did you find out about that? And I mean, should the Australian public have been aware of that if if you did know about it before the election? Well, the book was written before the, uh, finished Mm. before the election. And then you'll probably notice in there, we included a prologue, um, which covered the election result. No, all the, all the information, all the interviews that we did were for the purpose of the book, not for a daily news reporting exercise. So, you know, the, book, the book's out now and now we know. 
Yeah, Simon, I mean, how did you feel on Monday and Tuesday when it was revealed that there was not only these two that are obviously mm. outlined in the book, but there was a third mm. and then a fourth and then a fifth portfolio that he'd sworn himself into? I wasn't aware of those. Obviously, if I was aware of them, they would have been in the book, mm. but uh, I, I was a little surprised, as I think were a lot of people, but uh, without providing commentary on those... I'd go back to the original two that were included in the book and we we extracted that element out, I think, in Saturday's edition of The Australian. And and I don't think that um, anyone would have seen those two as extra extraordinary in themselves given the context of the the time that those decisions were made. You know, in hindsight, should they have been made public at the time, I I think the former Prime Minister might think that that might have been wise in hindsight but you know considering what's happened now but uh i'd point back to there was a press conference on march 18 2020 when they announced the biosecurity trigger and there was a brief mention of the joint authority between scott morrison and greg hunt on health it wasn't explicit in the sense that he talked it about the swearing in element of it but there was some public airing of that joint authority that that had been made. So he might argue that it wasn't all that secret at the time. It's just that us journos weren't smart enough at the time to pick up on what he was saying. Mm. <laughs> Who else was aware apart from the Attorney General about these appointments and about him swearing mm. himself into these portfolios? Well, Greg Hunt was obviously aware at the time and they had a discussion about it in terms of the health portfolio. There would have been others, presumably in the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, that were aware because they would have been uh, party to the advice, you know, on the instrument they were using to do that. So there would have been others aware, but it was kept in a pretty tight circle. I, I note that Scott Morrison has sort of said in retrospect that with the extra portfolios, the, the Home Affairs and Treasury, he didn't, he, you know, he didn't think it was uh, necessary in hindsight. And probably had his time again, wouldn't have um, felt the need to do that. But, um, you know, that's for him to explain what the purpose of those two extra portfolios were. Simon, I'm a bit surprised the Nationals aren't more outraged by what Scott Morrison did by overruling Keith Pitt in the resources portfolio Mm. on the decision of the PEP11 gas project. I mean, this is one of the Mm. most powerful Mm. portfolios the Nats had control over, or we thought Mm. they had control Mm. over, but they actually... Didn't. So doesn't this completely undermine the mm. Liberal Nationals coalition agreement where national support is balanced on mm. how much ministerial power they're given in the governing coalition? It's a, that's a really good point, Tom. Um, really good point. And I note that they were pretty outraged a couple of days ago. Um, some of them have tempered their commentary about it. That one's a really interesting one because I think, I mean, that that is not pandemic related in any way, shape or form. No. So election related. It, it's, you could say that. There's a lot of politics involved in that. What surprises me is that the, the Nats didn't go bunter about it at the time mm. because clearly Keith Pitt knew in retrospect and others knew, uh, Barnaby Joyce said he knew, but they kept pretty quiet on it. Doesn't it make um, Barnaby Joyce look a bit weak as, as Nationals leader? Shouldn't he be taking it to the Liberal Party when they step on their toes? Well, that's for Barnaby to explain. I, mean, I, I heard Barnaby the other day say that he, he had found out about it later and before the final decision was made. So I'm actually surprised that it didn't um, become an issue at the time, to be honest. I don't know what was going on there, but uh, 
you know, obviously the Minister of Resources, Keith Pitt, wasn't particularly happy about it, but I suppose in the interests of uh, keeping things on an even keel, they, they didn't blow up about it. So, I mean, what do you think this whole story ultimately does to Scott Morrison's legacy? Look, that's a really good question as well. I think for him it's unfortunate because the former government does have a, a, a good story. I mean, there were obviously mistakes made and they got things right and they got things wrong during the management of the pandemic. But generally speaking, there was a legacy there that I think they could have been proud of in terms of particularly their initial responses to the pandemic and how well Australia navigated it compared to a lot of countries. So, look, this does detract from that. There's no doubt about it. It will detract from the legacy that I think he was hoping to establish. Mm. And it's just such a funny situation for you, right? Because your book was actually, um, it did flesh out some of the good decisions, but ironically, Mm. it's highlighted something that's just outraged a huge amount of the Australian Mm. public and damaged his legacy enormously. Look, it, it had, this thing has triggered people, obviously. Yeah, it, it really has. That's the nature of things. Um, all politicians are accountable for their decisions that they make. This is certainly the case here. But the book wasn't an exercise in making judgments about what they did wrong and right. It was an exercise in exploring in a factual way just the description of events and things that occurred. We were careful not to make too much analysis of things in hindsight, uh, because a lot of the, a lot of the interviews were conducted as the pandemic was unfolding, so you you have a, a probably a fresh and more honest account from people at the time as it was happening, rather than the rear view mirror sort of hindsight where people tend to recount their experiences a bit differently, I suppose. So, in that sense, it's quite a raw account, and of course, things like this now triggering people in a different way. Well, that was Simon Benson, co-author of Plagued, and he's the chief national political reporter for Sydney's Daily Telegraph. Tom, I found this book so fascinating, particularly about what was happening behind the scenes of a federal government really trying to come to grips with how to control a pandemic. Yeah, and as the book reveals, they made some really good decisions, very innovative, fast, decisive decisions, often even going against their own political ideologies. But it's that that one decision to appoint himself to those ministries and not tell anyone about it. And then the other three ministries we've found out about since that ultimately is going to potentially define and seriously damage Scott Morrison's political legacy. Listener.